This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Thanks for listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. This is part three of our four-part series about gastrointestinal parasites in goats and small ruminants, but mostly focused on goats. Um, I still am not back on my Friday release schedule, guys. Sorry, this week has been a rough one. Um, My elderly pug... uh, currently have five dogs and my elderly pug had a eye emergency this week and dogs unfortunately are not like goats in where uh, they can heal their eyes very very well from multiple things and he developed what's called a melting ulcer on Tuesday after I was out on the road and uh, it looked terrible by the time I got home Tuesday night got him to the ophthalmologist on Wednesday and he ruptured his eyeball on Thursday morning. So now we're trying he ha- and he also has a cataract in the other eye. So now I'm trying to figure out the best thing I can do for him to possibly save the ruptured eye and or not if his best chance for having one visual eye is to do cataract surgery in the other eye. So he's going to be seeing the ophthalmologist again this coming week. And right now he's very, very sad, and it makes me very, very sad. So it's been a rough couple of days filled with every two hours administering eye drops to a grumpy old pug who does not want to have them. And uh, it's bumming me out because he's a really good dog. So I'm on my way home, and I'm going to talk about gastrointestinal parasites in goats to distract me from that for a bit, because uh, that's what I do. (laughs) Think about something else for the moment, and uh, we're treating him, we're doing the best we can, and uh, we'll have to make a decision in the next few days. So send some positive vibes out to Mr. Satchmo, and... uh, fingers crossed for him. Uh, this part of our, uh, our series on gastrointestinal parasites is going to be about strategies for managing gastrointestinal parasites in your herd. Um, if you have questions about this or comments or, uh, I don't explain something clearly because I feel like this is the hardest part to get across in a succinct fashion. Uh, you can find my website, goatdoc.com. You can shoot me an email at goatdoccara at gmail.com. And you can find me on Instagram at goat underscore doc. Um, if you have a moment and you can rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player app of choice, that is most appreciated and it helps uh, the computer artificial intelligence apparatus know that people are listening and bumps the podcast up higher in search results. And if you'd like to share with a goat friend, that is also most appreciated. 
uh, have a couple. I'm sorry, I looked at this earlier today, and I should have written down a list because I have some Patreon supporters that I need to have a shout out to. Um, and I'm now I'm driving, and it's dark, and I really shouldn't like look at my phone to figure out the you guys. So I'm sorry. You're it's all coming at at you. Get just I thank you for bearing with me on this rough week. Um, so if you would like to join these small group of small but growing group of uh, early supporters on Patreon to uh, if you feel like the podcast is worth throwing a couple bucks a month at to help me offset costs of podcasting stuff and hosting and those things uh, you can show your support at patreon.com slash goat doc and there's some different tiers of support there that you can check out and that would be really cool um i think that's all the kind of housekeeping things there will be one more part in the gi parasite series uh coming at you next week about like perils and pitfalls of things to do um or things not to do or things that don't work and those kinds of things that's going to be coming next week and that's going to wrap up that series and then i'll be honest there may be a little bit of an interlude because we're really down to like the wire of that's what that's the saying right yes down to the wire under the gun of having to move and that is going to be like over thanksgiving uh so we have to break down our dairy and move all of our dairy equipment and move lots of like large household items and um get that all coordinated and then hopefully have a barn that's ready to take some animals in a couple of weeks so yeah and of course it's already started snowing in Maine so that's delightful and that's kind of holding things up I think our construction team would have had the roof on the barn by now if it wasn't covered with snow and ice so also send like warmer weather vibes towards Maine if you can that would be most appreciated but I'll get into the content of the podcast now and yeah disclaim first as always this podcast is provided with the intent to educate and inform it is not a substitute for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your primary vet and i strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid vcpr veterinarian client patient relationship with your local vet So, what is the strategy? We've talked about the types. We've talked about the enemies, the different major types of gastrointestinal parasites in goats. We've talked about what we've got to use against them. And then, like, you gotta, I think at least, that you have to know that to some degree and understand it in order to be able to effectively make a plan on how you're going to manage gastrointestinal parasites in your herd. So knowing what your weapons are and knowing who the enemies are is very important, but then you got to have a plan and strategy on how you're going to use it. I said this in the first episode, I think, but it bears repeating that my plan is different from your plan and your plan is different from your neighbor's plan, even if they're just a little bit down the road. And certainly a thousand percent for sure, 
your plan is different from somebody on a Facebook group that lives halfway across the country or in another part of the world because your parasites are going to be different from my parasites and from that person halfway around the world or the country. Everybody's going to do something differently. So what works for you might not work for them. What works for them might not work for me. You got to, like... I feel very strongly that having an individual plan for your herd, for your group of animals, is a really important part of successful parasite management. The tools that we have to, to keep track of this and to manage parasites are pretty much like the same. So like you're going to be doing the same things to gather the information, but you may not be doing the same things to control your parasite numbers. The other kind of important overarching thing to say about gastrointestinal parasites in small ruminants is, like, I am not shooting for my goats to be parasite-free. So in my small animal patients, in my dogs and cats, if they do a fecal and they have gastrointestinal parasites, generally we treat them. Goats are different. I am not looking for a negative fecal on goats. If there's a few strongyle eggs on there, I don't care. If there's coccidia on there in an otherwise healthy adult goat, I care even less. But I want to have some idea of what those parasites like. What do the, what does it look like? What does it look like across animals? What does it look like across my herd? So that is, like, an important thing to think about in terms of parasite management. Then just the phrase parasite management is parasite management is not parasite elimination. Goats and dogs and cats and humans, like, we all evolved with parasites. Um, In developing countries, like, humans still have gastrointestinal parasites. And, like, sometimes they can be a problem, just like for goats. Sometimes they can be a problem. But lots of times they can just kind of, like, coexist. And there's some human medicine doctors, human medicine doctors, human doctors out there that, or maybe human research people that think that, like, a lot of the gastrointestinal conditions that humans have now, maybe there's not a lot, but I've definitely heard about this, so there's got to be at least a few. Uh, A lot of the gastrointestinal conditions that humans have now, IBD, Crohn's, things like that, can be, maybe from the human immune system, particularly IBD, uh, the human immune system used to be on constant alert and constant vigilance to attack and kill gastrointestinal parasites. So this used to be a constant battle and our immune system over thousands of years of human development, you know, was like, we got to kill these parasites or at least we got to keep them in check so we can continue to survive. And then in the relatively recent past like hundred years, maybe we've developed these anthelminthic drugs and we've figured out sanitation and hand washing and not like picking up poop and then eating. Um, not like minimizing fecal oral transmission and blah, 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 all of these things. And that has really like decreased human gastrointestinal parasite problems. Like I said, it still happens, still out there. Um, 
and but we have products that we can treat it with now so the idea here is now that the immune system of humans is bored because it doesn't have GI parasites to attack so instead it's like I'm gonna attack myself and that's why we have conditions like IBD that was a little bit of a tangent uh, <laughs> sorry my point is that we all involved with gastrointestinal parasites and my goal in my own herd and my goal for my clients herd is two major things one is that my goal is not to eliminate the parasite population and two is to be aware of what's going on and ask my ask the question for my own goats and for everybody else's goats do we even need to deworm the goats do we how do we know uh i if you've listened to all the podcast episodes you may remember that i grew up with horses and that was in like the 90s mostly that I would like my parents bought me a horse we did the horse thing and I absolutely shudder and cringe and like want to bury my head in my hands when I think about how we dewormed horses then because we didn't have this issue of parasite resistance or if we did we didn't really think about it the small ruminants are definitely like the sentinel group of animals for this problem largely because of homonchus and uh, not being able to kill it because homonchus is such a devastating gastrointestinal parasite to a herd of goats or a flock of sheep you can have dramatic animal losses in a very short period of time horses don't have homonchus cows don't have homonchus but the ideas of parasite management in small ruminants are starting to trickle over to our other large herbivore domestic species so what I used to do when I had a horse in the 90s is I would go and we'd go to the feed store and we'd buy several different kinds of dewormer. We'd buy like a tube of Zemectrin, which is ivermectin, I mean like a couple of those and a couple of safeguards, which is fenbendazole and a couple of... Uh, pyrantal, strongid, which is pyrantal, and then we'd give one of those like every six weeks and we'd switch it up. So what we were doing when we were doing that was that we were killing the wimpy worms and then we were letting the strong worms survive and then we were also like showing the worms all the things we had. I'm like, here, these are all the things and if you survived all these things, then you're like the super worm and you're sur- you survived and you get to pass your genetic material on to the next generation of worms who then are also more likely to be super worms. Deworming when it's not necessary, deworming at inadequate doses, deworming at uh, inappropriate durations, and uh, deworming by like an inappropriate route of administration are all ways to increase parasite resistance, which is, like I said, this is a huge problem in small ruminants, largely because of homonchus, and it's something that we would like to try to avoid. So it goes back to that question. Do I even need to deworm my goats? Do I? How do I know? Not looking for um, zero worms in my goats, but I'm looking for a number of worms that can somewhat peacefully coexist with my animals without detriment to their health. 
we have a few tools that we can use to to do this um probably the most common is a fecal egg count and that is a quantitative fecal egg count so quantitative means it's going to give me a number uh it's not a qualitative test which would just tell me like yes or no yes there's worms no there's not worms uh that's not super helpful when I'm trying to have an idea of how many worms there are. So I'm looking for a quantitative fecal egg count. Uh, this comes back in eggs per gram, uh, also known as a McMaster's fecal, uh, modified McMaster's. There's different ways that people do this, but the end result should be roughly the same and give you a result in eggs per gram. And then that tells you you can infer from how many eggs are in one gram of that animal's poop how like how heavy is their parasite burden to some extent you know we talked about like ostertasia back in the first episode where those guys are insisted and they're not making eggs in there they're maturing to their adult stage but they're just hanging out in there and we can't count them because they're not making eggs so this is an imperfect system i will absolutely totally agree with you but aside from going into the animal and like this is very difficult in ruminants like in horses we can scope them you know put like an endoscope down their esophagus and look at the stomach uh that would be very 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 difficult in a ruminant so that doesn't really happen um fecal egg counts are kind of like the big thing that we've got um and knowing these numbers is important and also this is the same thing that I said at the beginning like your numbers are going to be different depending on your location and your animal population and how much exposure your animals have to other animals all all, many 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 variables so everybody's going to have an individual thing and also talk with your vet because there's a different like threshold for deworming uh, based on a fecal egg count, depend, probably depending on where you live. Like I am in New England and I recommend deworming things if their egg counts are over a thousand eggs per gram. And that's, you know, that's what I was taught. So that's what I do for myself. And that's what I recommend. Um, I'm not looking for that zero. And why I'm not looking for that zero is kind of going to bring together the things that I've talked about so far. And it's uh, kind of it's kind of difficult to explain. The Southern Maine Dairy Goat Association people told me that I explained it okay, so I hope I'm going to explain it okay. This is an idea called refugia. Um, and refugia is an idea that means that we want to maintain a population of gastrointestinal parasites in our goats that is susceptible to the deworming products that we have. And that's why judicious use of those antihelminthic drugs and paying attention and having a plan is very, very important. We're not going to go and just deworm everybody. I'm going to deworm who needs to be dewormed based off of fecal egg counts. Um, and there's there's many, many variables in this too. So we, we want we, a goat, goat parasite population, a goat herd parasite population consists of 
parasites in the animals and parasites in the environment. So that, you got to think about those two locations for the animals because aside from using nematode and trapping fungi, bioworma, we can't really do too much about the parasites on the ground in the pasture. Um, but largely we treat the parasites that are in the animals. Some major things to think about here are that 20% of your herd is going to shed 80% of the parasites into the environment. So a small, like one out of every five of your animals is carrying most of the parasite burden for that group of animals and shedding the most eggs into the environment. This just has to do with certain animals being better at killing parasites than other animals. There's this whole uh, aspect of the immune system that is made to kill parasites. Uh, there's white cells called eosinophils that part one of their jobs is to kill parasites. And when they are elevated in some animals, then I am looking for parasites. They're usually like they're usually like a low number of white cells, and they're usually just kind of chilling and doing their job. And um, when I see them elevated, that's what I'm looking for. Um, so that's like that. And certain animals, even if it's like sibling does from the same breeding, like one may be better at her immune system may be better at killing parasites than her sisters and we don't know why but you know there's a whole bunch of different things and we don't know why it's just kind of the way it is maybe someday we'll know maybe not um so part of your parasite management plan and part of maintaining refugia needs to be identifying these animals that are more susceptible and that are carrying more of the GI parasites. A couple of reasons for that, and I'm going to talk about it, one of them a little bit later. Um, those animals that have higher fecal egg counts are the animals that you're going to target to deworm. Why are you doing that? So if you've got a group of animals and you got a group of five animals and one animal... Most of the animals have, let's say, like, four animals have fecal egg counts between 100 and 200 eggs per gram. I don't care about those animals. They're doing fine. They've got a low parasite burden, and they can ha they can handle it. They, they look good to me. Um, also can look at, like, uh, Famacha, which I'm going to talk about in a second. Um, but... The, those those four animals, the, if they're looking good, they come back with a fecal egg count that's low, I'm not going to worry about them. Let's say they have a herd mate that comes back with a fecal egg count of 5,000 eggs per gram. That animal needs to be dewormed in my book because that animal is shedding 500 times the number of parasite eggs into the environment. So we want to knock that down. There's potential to affect everybody down the line things that we've got to think about when we choose to deworm that animal. Think, when, think about moving the animal, think about who the animal is around, how are we going to deworm it, all of these things. So you got your five goats, four of them are great, don't need to be dewormed. One of them has a high count and needs to be dewormed. When you deworm that animal, you have to assume, let's say for simplicity's sake, there are 5,000 worms <laughs> in, that, in that animal. And you have to assume that some number of them are not going to die from the deworming product because that's just, just like the nature of the game. Um, the deworming ruminants 
as large herbivores with a gigantic rumen is difficult. Um, the so you got that animal it's got 5,000 worms you're going to deworm it and hopefully you're going to have like a 90% reduction so what is, that brings you down to like 450 that would be amazing did I do my math right um, I'm not sure so if you could get I'm doing math it's bad yeah like like 250 oh my god that, that would be like the best fecal egg count reduction ever so if you got your feet your goat it's got 5,000 eggs per gram you deworm it and then you have come back with your recheck fecal two weeks later and it's 250 eggs per gram you're like sweet that worked I killed a lot of worms it's that animal is shedding so many fewer eggs into the environment and that's great but the thing you got to think about too is that the ones that survive those 250 are the strongest of the bunch so those, those 250 are way more likely to have resistance to that deworming product that you just used. The refugia in the other four animals uh, with their original 100 to 200 eggs per gram counts, those guys didn't see that dewormer. So they're still, those goats are still pooping those eggs out on the environment. That parasite population is still mingling with each other. So when the super worm eggs get out into the environment and are picked up by the other goats that did not get dewormed, then they have a much higher likelihood of diluting out those resistant genes by breeding with non-resistant worms that have not seen those deworming products. So that is why identifying your high shedders, identifying that 20% of your herd population that needs to be dewormed is important. Um, Other things to think about with this are like when do you deworm and what like are you moving animals can you rotationally graze i think i have more stuff to talk about with that later um i think i feel like that was probably maybe even better than how i explained refugia when i explained it to smdga so i hope that i hope that made sense ask me questions I mentioned while I was explaining that kind of the procedure for a fecal egg count reduction test um, because, like I said, fecal egg counts are imperfect, but it's kind of the major tool we have to assess our parasite burden in our animals and determine who needs to be dewormed and determine if the dewormer is working. So the procedure for doing a fecal egg count reduction test is to get individual fecal samples from all the animals in your herd. If you're like me and your herd, like my milking herd, milking herd in the milking barn is like 40 animals. So that's a good amount of animals and it's going to cost some money. But in order to do this effectively, I'm going to need to do that. Like I need to, and I got to do it like now because we're about to move and I'm about to have an opportunity to have a strategy of not bringing a lot of parasites to my new farm. So I got to collect poop in like the next week from a whole bunch of animals (laughs) and label it and send it. And it's going to be expensive because then I've still got another 40 or 50 like spring kids and bucks and yearling does and blah, blah, blah. And I want to know where we're at before we move. Anyway, sorry. Uh, So you need to start with getting individual fecal 
egg counts from all of your animals. That is like the best information you can have. You're going to identify those high shedders and then you can deworm them. Uh, and then the part, the part about the fecal egg count reduction test is that it's a two-parter. You got to do the first fecal and then you've got to deworm and then you've got to do the second fecal and see what, how that, how that went. Did it work? Did that dewormer work? Did you get a, a reduction in eggs or did you not get a reduction in eggs and your treatment failed for whatever reason? You didn't dose correctly. You didn't administer it properly. You didn't give it for the right number of days or, um, that parasite is resistant to that dewormer and you got to try another one. The recheck egg count is just as important. They're equally important because if you do one without the other, then you don't know anything. <laughs> um, I mean, if you do one, if you do your first one and everybody's got a low fecal egg count, then you don't need to deworm and you're good to go. And that's the best possible outcome. Um, so fecals, fecal egg counts are important. Um, so let's say we're looking at my... 50 animals, I fecal egg count them all, I identify the one out of five, so 10 of them need to be dewormed, and then those 10 in 10 to 14 days, I need to recheck a fecal. For your recheck fecals, it's okay to pool uh, your samples, so like for my 10 animals, I'd probably pool into like three samples and send those out and see what the new fecal egg count is. The um, and then I compare to what their original counts were to what their new to what the new ones are after treatment. Looking for an egg reduction, like I mentioned when I was talking about the 5,000 eggs per gram goat of 95% to know that that dewormer was effective. And that would be that would be really awesome. Like 95% reduction, like that's working well. And then you've maintained, I've maintained my refugia in my other 40 animals and those 10 animals can go out and the, the super worms that may, are much more likely to exist in them are going to dilute out their resistance with the rest of the population. The fecal egg count reduction only works if you do both sides. If you do one before and you don't know and you don't do one after, you don't know if your treatment worked. If you do one only after, then you don't know. First of all, did you even need to deworm those goats? Did they have any parasites to begin with? Um, and did like did it work? Did you get a 95% reduction? I don't know because I don't have anything to compare it to. So it's a, it's a process. It's like, you know, it takes a couple weeks to do that whole thing, but uh, it's going to give you good information and keep track of this stuff. Like have some, have some records. So you know, what's working, you know, what you did, you know, what worked. And then my kind of procedure with deworming products is like, I'm going to keep using that same deworming product until it doesn't work anymore because this goes back to the same thing I was talking about when I grew up with horses and I showed all those worms like hey this is what I got here it is here's all these things figure out how to survive them which is not great <laughs> it's actually the opposite of what I would want to do um the other another tool we have to evaluate whether we need to deworm goats is you may have heard of the FAMACHA test and that stands for like these three guys last names that I don't have in front of me so I can't remember what they were uh, but FAMACHA is a way of evaluating like quick and dirty way of evaluating whether animals may have a, a like a concerning number of homonchus uh 
parasites in their gut because FAMACHA is looking at the mucous membranes of the inner eyelid and assessing how pink they are basically. Uh, there's a scale of one to five and I always want to do it wrong and I think one is good and five is bad. You'd think like five would be higher and be like more but I, I think that's uh, I always want to say the wrong thing when I think of FAMACHA. Um, so one is like really pink and five is like really pale white. I'm gonna die because I've lost blood. Um, this is only useful for homonchus though. This is not something you can use to assess the levels of those other gastrointestinal parasites because they do not, you should not have, or you're much less likely to have that level of blood loss with the rest of the hot complex or the tapeworms or Manesia and, uh, or, uh, and the other things we talked about. Um, I, the, FAMANCHA in and of itself is not an adequate tool to, uh, in my opinion, to determine whether you should deworm something, unless it's something that is like, it's pale white, it's August and humid, and that animal is down acutely, and you're really worried about parasites. So, but as with any other kind of data, the more data you collect over a period of time, the more useful it becomes. So if you have a habit with your herd, you're like, the first of every month, everybody gets a FAMACHA and a body condition score, and then you write it down and you have that information over time, that becomes much more useful because if you, then if you look at that information and of course, statistics and all of these things become even more useful when you have more animals. So going back to my example of like, if I'm looking at my 50 does and I, we're going to BCS them and FAMACHA them on the first of every month, every month in 2020. At the end of the year, I have a whole bunch of information that I can look at and say, oh, look, this doe had a FAMACHA of like four and the herd average is two. And like she was consistently higher than everybody else. So that makes me think, you know, something is different about her. And then that makes, you know, that's just information that's useful to me when I'm thinking of, excuse me, about whose daughters am I keeping? Who needs more work and worrying and all like paying attention to because she may be more likely to have a parasite problem. If I can also add a fecal egg count to that information twice a year, that's also helpful information to have because it's just like going to help confirm or support the idea that maybe that doe has more of an issue with parasites than others. So useful tools, use them together and collect the data, write it down, use a spreadsheet, whatever, and then you have information collected that can help you make decisions. Um, another useful tool that's available is called a drench rate test. And this is not super commonly done because it's expensive. I think it's like $450 to send, but it can provide you very, very useful information, especially if you have a herd where you're running into significant parasite resistance. Um, 
This the drench ray assay is run by the University of Georgia Vet School, and there's very specific instructions on how you do it. Uh, you have to collect a certain number of grams of poop from a certain number of animals, and then you have to like smush it all together, mix it together in a loaf, and wrap it up a certain way with like plastic wrap and tin foil, and keep it at a certain temperature, and send it to the University of Georgia. Uh, when it gets there. Uh, they take that poop and they hatch out all the larvae in the poop and they collect them and then they see what kills the larvae. So they hatch it out, they figure out what species are there. So the thing, remember the thing that I said a couple episodes about how hot complex can't tell what species are there just by the eggs. Uh, we can once you hatch them out though. So they hatch them out, they see what's there, and then they kill them with different deworming products. So then you get back a report that says you have this many ostertasia and it is resistant to ivermectin and susceptible to cydectin at this dose. And you just, it goes through the whole thing. It gives you lots of useful information. Um, so it's expensive, but lots of lots of good information. If you need, like, if you're in a place where you're like, I, I'm trying to deworm these things and nothing seems to be working, you can do a drench ray test and you will have some guidance on what to do. It's kind of like doing, like, a bacterial culture and sensitivity of something when you're like... This thing is infected, but the usual antibiotics aren't don't seem to be killing it. What do I do? And then the lab grows it and kills it with different antibiotics. And they tell you what to do. As well, labs labs are great. That's helpful information. So that's the drench rate test. Other less uh, well, I don't know that any of this is glamorous, but other less glamorous aspects of parasite management are management of the environment. Uh, you can't. You gotta. You gotta manage the environment and think about the environment and think about what parasites like and what they don't like, and how do you make the environment less hospitable for them? Uh, parasites like pasture that is is damp and wet and it has moisture and then they can survive in that so think about your pasture is it wet is it dry is it crowded Uh, do you have the ability to do rotational grazing and when you're thinking about rotational grazing you do want to think about what species you are rotating if you rotate sheep and goats that's like basically the same thing to most of these parasites they don't care you're not breaking that parasite life cycle if you can interrupt grazing with something like an equid like a horse or a donkey then most of these gastrointestinal parasites for ruminants are not going to survive the trip through the GI of the horse or they might survive but they won't be able to complete their life cycle to that adult stage where they would be shedding eggs into the environment because a horse a horse's guts are way different from a goat's guts and so that can be a useful tool if you have enough space where you can leave pasture open for a month or like two weeks at least to break that parasite life cycle or a month is great uh, to to the goats or sheep will poop all the eggs out into the environment but then they will hatch at some point and then the larva will not get ingested by something if there's not something there to graze it and eventually they just die so that's very useful information uh, feed delivery. How are you feeding your goats? This is like this is just a, a constant 
constant struggle of goat farmers. How do I feed these goats so they stop wasting so much hay and so they don't put their poopy feet in their buckets? That's like welcome to my world. Especially the kids, man. They just want to put their poopy feet in the buckets. Their grain buckets and things. So strategies to prevent fecal contamination of the feed. Get the feed off the floor. If you're not, if you're just throwing hay in on the ground for your goats to eat, yeah, they'll probably eat it, but the, the hay on the ground is way more likely to have poop and thereby have parasite eggs attached to it, and then those are way more likely to be ingested. Get your feed up off the floor and your hay up off the floor into hay feeders so your goats can eat at least some of it before they pull it out and throw some of it on the ground. Uh, there's, you know, Google image search or like Pinterest or whatever. I don't really like do Pinterest very much, but there's so many like ideas for goat feeders out there. Uh, I personally think the most effective way of doing this is to have like a feeding system where the goats stick their head outside of their walking area. So this is really similar to cows in a freestall barn where there's headlocks or, or stanchion, like head, head stanchions where the cows put their heads out and they eat their TMR, which is outside of where they can step and step their poopy feet on their food. And lots of dairies have like, maybe the floor is concrete, but then the area where the the TMR, which is total mixed ration, sorry, which is what dairy cows generally eat. Uh, the area where the TMR is poured often has like big ceramic tiles, so it stays nice and clean, and the, the cows can't step their poopy feet in it. It's just their head comes out, and then they can eat, and that's great. It helps keep the feed clean. Uh, so that's a, that's an effective way of doing that for goats. For our new barn, where the kids are going to be raised, we're going to be setting it up so their grain buckets are outside of their stall area. So they're going to have like holes where they can stick their head out and they can eat their grain outside of the stall, which does two things. It keeps me from having to go in there and get mobbed and stepped on and jumped all over by a bunch of little zombie goats and also prevents them from putting their poopy feet in their food. So that's like a win-win. Think about your feed delivery. Think about your barn, yard, and pasture hygiene. How often do you clean your barn? What are you using to bed your barn? All of those things. Nobody, Nobody's like, well, who I get to clean the barn? But it's an important part of managing parasites. Uh, genetics. I kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier when I talked about those sibling does from the same breeding and one consistently has a higher fecal egg count than her sister. I don't know why. I may never know why. But when I'm thinking about a breeding plan and thinking about whose babies I want to keep and all other things equal, I probably want to be keeping more babies from that doe that consistently has a lower fecal egg count. Uh, some of these animals are going to be better at keeping parasites in check, and some of them are not. There are certain breeds of sheep that are just generally better at parasite resistance. There, there you may, as you start to collect data, you may notice a genetic component to which of your lines are better at keeping parasites in check and that's like we're probably never gonna have like oh I can send to UC Davis and get this genetic marker that's 
the parasite resistant goat genetic marker i mean maybe we could we have like casein and g6s and other and like dna for sire identification and things like that but at this point we don't have a genetic marker for parasite resistance so looking at those animals and like think about it when you're thinking about your breeding program if you have a parasite problem in your herd keeping the animals around and keeping the offspring of the animals around that are better at keeping parasite numbers in check is better Uh, last thing thinking about the environment is biosecurity the biosecurity of your your farm you know should you should think about this anyway because you don't basically you don't want to buy in things that are difficult to to get rid of um i don't want to buy a goat from somewhere that has a whole bunch of resistant hemonchus and my whole herd is then going to be exposed have a procedure for bringing animals in through a quarantine with fecal egg counts and deworming pro- uh, protocols as needed and making sure you're not putting the rest of your animals at risk. Don't buy in resistant parasites. When you have identified animals that do need to be dewormed, make sure you do it right. Uh, I've talked about uh, dosing and route of administration and all those things already in the last episode, I think, when I was talking about the anthelminthic products that we have to deworm. Uh, Make sure you're giving the right dose to that animal. If I give a 20-pound dewormer dose to a 150-pound animal, that's not going to do anything. Uh, with the exception of levamazole, which is prohibit, most of the deworming products have a pretty wide safety margin as far as safety to the animal. That does not necessarily mean that there's not concerns about uh, milk withholding and drug wet residues if you're giving at things at off-label doses, and you should definitely talk with your vet about it. But often, if you're running into an issue, you're like, I can't kill these parasites, Check, make sure you're giving the right dose. The right dose isn't always the dose that's on the label. So you got to work with your vet about, on that one. Uh, make sure, like, get good at knowing how big your animals are. I think I'm getting better at this, actually. I um, used to be really bad at it, especially with pigs. The pigs would go to the butcher and be like, oh, they're like 150 pounds. And then they'd come back and the butcher's like, oh, yeah, that was like 260 hanging. I'm like, oh, well, I'm bad at this. Um, but I've, I feel like I've gotten better with goats over the years and pretty good at eyeballing them and guessing how much they weigh use weight tape use a scale if you have it make sure your dosing is appropriate do not underdose for the reasons that i just mentioned uh when you give deworming products when i'm deworming i try to do it first thing in the morning before feed this is kind of it's really it's hard for a ruminant because they're always going to have a rumen that's always going to be full of a large amount of ingesta chewed up breaking down plant material at various stages and whatever deworming product I give is going to be all mixed into that before it reaches the abomasum and the small intestine which is where the most of the parasites of concern are so if you deworm your animals first thing in the morning before they have grain before they're fed hay 
theoretically that's going to help at least a little bit help the contact and the concentration of the product as it is mixed into the rumen contents Uh, administer the products correctly the route route of administration so is it oral and it probably is oral if it's for gastrointestinal parasites i do not like i think i mentioned this in the last episode some products are labeled like for cows a poron is labeled for doing like brown stomach worms and things like that i don't rely on those too much for goats goats are not small cows they metabolize drugs differently and when I'm trying to get to gastrointestinal parasites I want to administer something that goes into the gastrointestinal system right dose make sure you know the weight make sure you're giving the correct dose um, in milligrams per kilogram milliliters per pound however you want to figure it out make sure you're giving that animal the right amount of product and for the right period of time talk with your vet about this stuff a lot of this stuff i'm talking about like route doses being not the labeled dose for goats and to get better efficacy giving product for like additional days to increase the contact time with the parasite population these are things that are off label so especially 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 if you're drinking the milk if you're selling the cheese if you're eating the animals you got to talk with your vet about how you're doing this to make sure you're not eating deworming products I think I already said this a bit, but make a plan. Make a plan before you start throwing things at your goats. If you feel like you have a parasite plan, figure out if you actually do before you start throwing deworming products at your goats. Do a fecal egg count. Talk with your vet. Come up with a plan. Don't panic. I like write the plan down is, is a good thing to me. I'm I uh, am in the middle of transitioning to an electronic herd management software for my herd because we've done a lot of paper over the years and the paper is completely out of control. So we're changing to basically like an EMR, like an electronic medical record for our goats, for our herd. And I'm, I can't remember if I've said on this podcast before, like, I kind of hate, like, bookkeeping and stuff like that, like, for my, my vet practice, like, I hate billing, and I hate ordering things, and I hate paying bills, and it's such a boring thing to do, I, I hate all that stuff, but over the years that, years, like, the few years that I've been in practice, like, I kind of have gotten to like writing medical records and herd records and get that all down on paper. And I think the reason why I like it more is because now when I have that information and I can look at it, I can build a better goat. I can do better by that individual animal. I can do better by the breed. I can do better by the species. I can help the animal, the individual animal, all the way up to the species level, do better. Make it better. Just, like, that's the thing I'm into lately. And that's that's probably, like, <laughs> hashtag life goals. Build a better goat. The, um, 
so then why I went off on that little tangent there is because like writing it down write it down put it on the calendar I'm doing a fecal on the herd on this day I'm deworming on this day and then I'm going to recheck it on this day write it on the calendar put a reminder on your phone whatever your system is have a system write it down document it somehow you will be glad you did uh Remember that parasite management is parasite management. It is not parasite elimination. We're keeping our refugia. We're having a plan to coexist with these nematodes in the environment in a way that is not to the detriment of our herd. management is not always fun and glamorous uh i probably some people are like you you like writing herd records and stuff like that um yeah like this is not it's not for everybody but it is valuable and like i said i don't like doing bookkeeping and billing and stuff like that for my vet practice but guess what if i don't do it and i don't get paid i'm not going to be doing it for very long uh other less glamorous parts about management like scooping out the barn building new hay feeders like it's work it's work but as i i was like i'm a bit of a a workaholic maybe um but i i i take pride in my work and i appreciate work and the level of satisfaction coming from like results from that work so there will there's work involved with parasite management and this just like it's the way it is some people who are really nerdy like me maybe find it more fun than work but uh, yeah it's kind of pathologic for me so sorry um I've also said this in the past in terms of, or just like the past 30 minutes in terms of making a plan. Your plan will be different from my plan. Make a plan for you. Don't make a plan because Jane down the street, that was her plan. Make a plan for you and, and see what your plan does. Like just because, and also just because you have a plan doesn't mean the plan doesn't change. Plans change. You can't, if I do... A fecal on everybody, I deworm my 20% of animals that need deworming, and I don't have a fecal egg count reduction, then I'm like, oh, I need to do something different. I take that information and I use it to make a decision, but I have a plan. I'm not just grasping at straws and throwing things around, seeing what sticks. I think that kind of wraps up the strategy section of parasite management uh so if you have questions about this please feel free to email me goat.cara at gmail.com and come say hi on instagram at goat underscore doc and yeah let me know if you have any questions if i skipped something if i didn't explain something well etc probably hear that my voice was a little bit more animated when I was talking about this because I haven't been thinking about my sad little dog in the seat next to me and now I'm gonna think about him some more and send good vibes to Satchmo and I'll let you know what happens with him when I talk to you guys next time.